Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, sports editor at the Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the post of EGA Athletics straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by women's basketball reporter Bo Underwood and assistant sports editor Owen Ward. First up, though, print managing editor Stuart Steele will join the show for a way-too-early NFL draft preview. Making his triumphant return to Between the Headphones, managing print editor Stuart Steele. It is great to have you back on the show, Stu. It's good to be back, John. Let's get right into it. The big question coming out of Pro Day was Jalen Carter. People had concerns about his weight, about his character, about his conditioning. Are any of those concerns legitimate? I think they're legitimate concerns, but I think if you put on the tape, you kind of forget about some of those concerns very quickly because he was such a good player, such a talented player, um, and arguably the top talent in the draft, one of the two or three top players in the draft. So I think teams are going to be willing to overlook that as long as the character stuff checks out on their end. And I think that's the biggest concern. And I think that was also the top factor in his pro day performance. I think he's in a tough place, um, regardless of, you know, what you think of Jalen Carter as a person. It's, it's got to be tough to go through what he's going through. So I think that's probably in his head. He's probably distracted by that to an extent, and we'll see if that has longer-term impacts and if those character concerns impact his actual draft stock come April 27th. Let's flip that question on its head. Who is a player on Georgia, or a former Georgia player, who you have absolutely no concerns about? Someone who you think will be an immediate contributor from day one for an NFL team? I'm sure this answer will surprise anyone that's listened to me talk about Georgia football in the last season or two, but... For me, it's Darnell Washington. I have zero concerns about his ability to instantly become a starting tight end, a starting level tight end. I think he immediately adds something as a blocker, especially right off the bat, as an almost an extra tackle in, in running plays, as well as a big target in the red zone. I think he has a lot of upside as well that he hasn't necessarily been used in the passing game as much as he could have been at Georgia, mostly just because Brock Bowers is so good. But I think Darnell Washington just to me like looks like an NFL player I mean that's obviously a big part of it he's so physically gifted that I think it'd be hard to see him not making an impact the tight end position is actually pretty stacked going into this draft what distinguishes Darnell from other guys at the tight end I think it's his blocking I think even the the two people that a a lot of uh, draft experts might have above him Michael Mayer and uh, Dalton Kincaid are not the same blocker as Darnell Washington Uh, They are more polished receivers, I would say, and route runners, but I think there are teams that value that blocking a lot. That could be a good fit for Darnell Washington. I I think the Falcons are one of those teams with Arthur Smith, who loves a good three tight end set and loves to run the ball. Baltimore would be a good fit, but obviously they have a bunch of tight ends already. Um, Teams like that that really like to use their tight end as an extra blocker and that will like that versatility of Darnell Washington, that you can keep him on the field and use him in both of those kinds of sets, whereas maybe you don't want to use a Kincaid as much as an inline extra lineman ever, really. He's more of a specific pass threat. So I think that's what separates Washington. My personal favorite draft edition, and it happens every year at some level or another, is when a team reaches for a particular player above all expectations. 
who do you think on Georgia could go much higher than expected? I don't know if this even qualifies at this point in the draft process, but Nolan Smith is a guy who's going to go a lot higher, I think, than it was initially projected coming out of the season. He obviously had a great combine, physically super gifted. A team's going to fall in love with that. And I'm not even saying that he would be a bad choice, like at the tail end of the top 10. I think he could still work out for a team, but I think you have to be concerned about the lack of actual pass rushing production at the college level from Nolan Smith. He's a great run stopper, good at setting the edge, and he has all the tools to be a good pass rusher, but it's a little bit odd that he didn't have more sacks, and I know part of it comes back to Georgia's rotation, Georgia having a lot of gifted players in their front seven, but also you would think that having such talent would, would have helped him potentially get more production just because you couldn't really double-team Nolan Smith in any situation against Georgia because you're dealing with Jalen Carter this year or Jordan Davis the year before um, and just such a talented group, Trayvon Walker as well that year, who was the top pick in the draft. He reminds me a lot of Trayvon in a lot of ways. but And I thought Trayvon Walker got overdrafted as well a little bit because I don't think anybody was really seeing him as the equivalent to Aiden Hutchinson early in that draft process, and he just shot up boards because of his amazing combine and we could see the same thing with Nolan I was gonna make that exact same comparison Trayvon jumping up boards to number one because he just tested so incredibly well Nolan could do the same thing here but is there anything outside of just his combine that might make a GM fall in love with Nolan Smith yeah I think Nolan Smith the person I mean if Jalen Carter has character concerns Nolan Smith has like the opposite of that Nolan Smith is a guy you want on your football team. Every time you hear him speak, you can see why he's a leader in the Georgia locker room, why after his injury he was still around the team as like a coach, basically, um, and, and just somebody talking to the team and doing all that stuff. I think he'll be a great cultural fit wherever he goes pretty much and will immediately be, maybe not immediately, it's a little bit weird in the NFL as a rookie, but very quickly become a vocal leader and a guy that people really are drawn to. He's just an infectious personality, so I'd say that. On the flip side of this particular discussion, do you think there are any Bulldogs who might fall down draft boards unexpectedly? Well, I think the, the, the big one is Jalen Carter. I mean, if, if anything more comes out that scares teams off about Jalen Carter or uh, they find these character concerns are uh, a big deal to them, he could be off some teams' draft boards um, depending on how how they view it. So that's the top one. Obviously, I already said I think he's one of the best players in the draft, so I think that talent will outweigh it. I still think he's going to be a top 10 pick, but it wouldn't shock me if something changed that, but I just still think he's going to be a top pick. The other one that I think could drop is Keely Ringo. Um, I think he was kind of seen as a f- tail end of the first round guy for a long time. Um, didn't necessarily play up to that level this season, got beat some of the time, had some down games, had some weird times where he's playing the ball on some of those go routes where he just mistimed his jump some of the times, which I think will concern NFL teams. But again, such a good athlete. He's got great size. I think he would fit well with a team like Pittsburgh, a team like Seattle, those teams that like those big physical corners and also have experienced coaches. I think he would do well to go to a team that has proven their ability to coach up the secondary but I do think Keeley could be a third round type of guy I think his athleticism again and that's true with a lot of the Georgia guys you can always go back to that athleticism for so many of these 
players and and teams will just fall in love with it so i do think he'll probably still be in the second round but certainly not a first round pick speaking of those falling into later rounds are there any day three or day two players who you are confident are going to succeed in the nfl even if they don't get drafted the highest i think kenny mcintosh is going to have a good nfl career i think he'll carve out a role earlier than people expect as a third down back i think He'll, his pass protection probably needs a little bit of polish at the NFL level, but as a receiver, I think we all saw it last year. He was a very consistent threat out of the backfield. Good route runner. I mean, they ran a lot of empty last season, and I think teams will like that. I think if he goes to, like, Cincinnati or somebody like that who needs a guy to kind of catch the ball out of the backfield, he could play in his first season, and I think he'll he'll be around for a while. And, you know, running back – is an undervalued position now, so you can probably get him late on, probably a fifth-round pick, fourth-round pick at the at the highest. Um, and then another one is Chris Smith, who I just I think will figure it out no matter where he gets drafted. I'm a strong believer in him. His athleticism was called into question a little bit after the combine. I think he's just such a smart player, versatile, can play both safety spots, can can drop deep, can play up towards the line. A willing tackler, I think that's a big thing in the NFL, and I think he'll be an instant contributor on special teams as well. Um, and that's a great path to being like a 10-year NFL player is just being willing to do whatever you're asked. And I think that's a good trait for all Georgia players because even their stars are playing on special teams. Like you see Bowers out there on special teams or uh, people like that. And then when they get to the NFL, that's such a transferable skill. I mean, like we saw Nicobe Dean was a third round pick but played on special teams all season immediately for Philadelphia and he didn't get on the field as a linebacker yet but I think it made it much easier to you know roster that guy if he's contributing somewhere else and I think Chris Smith is a good example of that I think Kiaris Jackson is another guy who's kind of like that I think he'll probably primarily be a special teamer in the NFL but if you can provide value there and you're like maybe there's another guy fighting you for that last wide receiver spot and they don't provide that special teams value, you probably get the spot. So I think that's a big advantage for a lot of these guys. There's one very particular name that we haven't mentioned so far, and I think a lot of Georgia fans are waiting for it. What range do you think Stetson Bennett gets taken in? I am having a very hard time with Stetson, Stetson's draft position at this point. I could He's another guy I could see a team reaching on in a weird way because if you fall in love with the guy, and it's quarterback, so you never know if somebody really likes a quarterback or thinks. If anybody thinks Stetson Bennett has starting potential, it only takes one team. And suddenly, if you think this guy could be a starter, why would you not? If you're if you're picking him in the third or fourth round, go ahead and take a flyer on a guy. The Patriots last season drafted Bailey Zappi in the fourth round in spite of having just drafted Mac Jones in the first the year before and got criticized for it. But I think drafting quarterbacks is so valuable and quarterback, if they prove they can play, is immediately worth, like, at least another, like, third-round pick or something like that. So I think if you think you can, you know, get Stetson Bennett to a place where he could eventually become a bridge-type starter for somebody, and I think even in his – I think Stetson projects as a good backup because he's got so much experience. It's been in a pro-style system. He reads the field well, and I just think – He's also going to have a long NFL career. The size concerns are the biggest thing with Stetson Bennett. But to answer your question, I think he could go anywhere from like the fourth to the sixth round. I don't think he's going to be in the seventh anymore. 
there was some talk about him potentially not even being drafted early in the process, but there have been reports that a lot of teams are interested in Stetson. So I'm starting to feel more confident he is like a fourth-round, maybe fifth-round kind of guy, um, which isn't a bad place to be in if you're Stetson Bennett. All right, Stu, we're wrapping up soon. You've talked about a bunch of teams today. You, you named drop the Bengals, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Ravens, Falcons. Who is a team player combination that if it happened in the draft, you would feel 100% confident that that was a perfect landing spot? Nolan Smith to the Eagles, I think, is a perfect fit. I think he'll culturally fit in well with they just picked Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. That's three people that were beloved at Georgia for who they were as people. Um, and I think that would be a great spot for him just as far as making the jump from college to the pros, having those guys there who have done it already for a season. Um, and just Philadelphia has such a strong rotation. I think he would be able to, to play early but not have a lot of immense pressure on him early to be that guy, that pass rusher, whereas if he goes to a team like the Falcons, he probably would be their top pass rusher immediately. So it, I think that would help him. I like Broderick Jones to the Patriots or the Jets or even the Bears. I think he's going to be a good fit for pretty much any team that needs a tackle. He's got great athleticism. He might start as a right tackle in the NFL, but I, I think he could play left tackle right off the bat. I think he's a little more polished than he gets credit for from a lot of people. Um, but that athleticism from him, I think, is his best trait over – the, one of the other top tackle prospects, Peter Skaronsky, I don't think is as athletic as Broderick Jones. So I think that he would fit well with those teams. And like I said, Keely Ringo to Seattle or Pittsburgh, I, I just want to say that's a really strong fit. Uh, any team that needs a big physical outside corner. But I think neither of those teams would need him to immediately start either necessarily, especially Seattle. They just got Tariq Woolen, who's been awesome. So I think those, again, I think – the best fits are ones where you're not necessarily immediately the guy, where you have time to develop, you have time to uh, step in. So I, I think going to teams where your position is already something of a strength or maybe there's some older guys there who can help you along is kind of the best case scenario. It's still a month to the draft, so a lot of things can move. A lot of things can shift. A lot of teams can move up in the draft. But for now, we'll keep watching. We'll be joined by Bo Underwood to preview the offseason for the women's basketball team. Welcome to the show, Bo. Great to be here, John. We're nearing the end of March, which means a lot of teams are officially entering the offseason, including Georgia. That means some departures. What contributors from last year have already played their final games in red and black? I'm about to throw out a ton of names. I know Gone for Sure, Diamond Battles, Brittany Smith, Audrey Warren, and Mallory Bates. Those are all out of eligibility, and then Alicia Lewis, Javin Nicholson, Chloe Chapman, Jordan Isaacs all still have eligibility from COVID years, redshirt years, but it remains to be seen if they are coming back or not. What are What is the team losing with the, those departures? What, what did they bring to the team this season? Yeah, so pretty much all those names are very important to who this team was last year. Obviously, Battles was the centerpiece of the offense, go-to scorer, with Brittany Smith right, uh, right behind her as the team's leading paint scorer. Alicia Lewis was their best perimeter shooter. She led the SEC in assists 
Uh, Javin Nicholson, great spark off the bench, great rebounder. And Audrey Warren and Chloe Chapman both provided a lot of perimeter defense. So anytime you lose a bunch of veterans like that, it's hard on the locker room. It's hard on not only the product on the court, but on the culture in the locker room as well. We've talked about Georgia's defense a ton this year. Will those losses play a part in the team's identity as like a hard-nosed, smash-mouth defense team? Or is Coach Abe's system kind of personnel-proof? Yeah, I think Coach Abe would tell you herself that her system isn't personnel-proof. She spent all year talking about how big it was to have kids like Diamond Battles and Brittany Smith on the team this year because it was so much easier that way to implement her system and her culture and just how she likes to run a basketball program. Now, like, are those the only players who can play in that system? Of course not. But it might be harder going forward to get younger players to buy into what Coach Abe wants to do and how her team runs just because there isn't that built-in familiarity with her scheme that you had with these older players that transferred from UCF. Speaking of that familiarity, who are some players that were on the team last year who have room to step up and fill in the gaps for those absences? I think the name that comes to mind from someone who actually played last year and who will be back is Zoisha Smith. If she comes back, which she probably will, there will potentially be a bigger role for her as a scorer. She was really good on defense last year and was one of and she's one of the best just flat out athletes on the team. And with Mallory Bates and Brittany Smith moving on and that sort of log jam at forward clearing out, it should be interesting to see what kind of role she has going forward next year. And then also some younger players, Coach Abe's daughter, Savannah Henderson, she was a four star recruit in high school who redshirted this year. So it'd be fun to see how her role expands with a need for more wings. And then there are other young players, Amaya Evans and Stephanie Ingram, who they all three of those players redshirted, I think. So it'll be fun to see what kind of roles they step into with a lot of these veterans gone. Incoming players could also contend for that open playing time. What kind of newcomer, either through the transfer portal or through recruiting, would benefit Georgia the most next year? Do they need a slashing point guard? Do they need a, a rebounding center? What are we looking at there? Those fifth years were so important to the team that they really do need everything. There is a lot to replace. Battles pretty much ran the offense. Smith was the best post scorer. Lewis, best playmaker, best outside shooter. So you do, I mean, if, if your goal is to make it back to the tournament, if you're Coach Abe and you're Georgia, you need to replace all of that to some extent. And so I think overall the most important, I guess, archetype of player I would say that they need is perimeter players who can play defense and then be reliable from their perimeter on offense. Speaking of that tournament, Georgia made it for a second straight year, finishing 22-12. and 12. It's prediction time, Bo. Can they make it back to the tournament next year? It's, it's really hard to say because of how different this team is going to look. Like We still don't know about some major players that are on the roster, whether or not they'll be back. And then it still depends on how they do with recruiting and with the portal, which I expect them to be pretty active in the portal just because that's how Coach Abe likes to do things. Looking at the roster now on March 27th, 2023, it looks like they're just losing, like like you said, they're losing so much talent, and they're also losing a lot of leadership. So that's why I don't think I can say that in this in its current state at least that this team is well enough equipped to get back to the tournament. But we'll have to wait and see because there's a long offseason ahead for this team. We'll certainly stay tuned. Thanks for coming on the show, Bo. Thank you for having me. Finally, 
Assistant Sports Editor Owen Worden to discuss the baseball team's start to SEC action. Welcome to the show, Owen. Great to be talking baseball, John. I don't know if it's that great because Georgia has not been doing very well recently, like at all. They started one in five in SEC action. They got mercy ruled twice. So big, basic, easy question here. What's the problem? So, John, there's a lot going on, which it could be an understatement depending on who you ask. Georgia's offense was killer um, for most of this season. They were putting up double-digit points pretty routinely in their non-SEC action, which I do want to emphasize was still against good teams. I mean, you played it at an at-point Georgia Tech team. Wofford's a really good baseball team. We saw that Jacksonville State's a pretty good baseball team. Maybe not SEC level, which is some of the best in college baseball, but still really good teams that they put a lot of points on. But the moment they hit SEC action, their offense went dry. And you can't win games a lot of the times when your offense is going super dry. And you especially can't win games when your defense is pretty atrocious. They're letting up a constant amount of runs. Their pitching is really inconsistent. And they can't find any consistency from their relievers other than maybe an occasional inning or two. But there was an, when they were uh, in their first SEC weekend, we saw freshman Matthew Hoskins go in. And he steps up. He has an incredible reliever performance where um, there's a couple guys on base and he he gets a double play and, and he ends up getting out of there and only a couple batters with no runs scored. And it was incredible. And then he goes up and ends up having an inning that, that winds up losing Georgia the game. So they need their pitchers to be more consistent. They need them to to put them in a better position where you don't have to score 24 runs to win a baseball game. Speaking of that 24-run performance against Auburn, is good offense simply the key to turning this around, or is it a little more complicated than that? You can't put up a football score in every single baseball game. Let's be real here, 24-7, to 7, if you saw Georgia versus Auburn, you saw that, you're like, oh, football's back. It's not. It's the middle of spring. You can't do that. That's not consistent. They scored, what, 16 runs in one inning? That's, first of all, ridiculous. So shout-outs to them for that. That just shows you their offensive prowess and the fact that they can do that against SEC teams. But they still let up seven runs. You you can't let up seven runs in baseball. It's just not – it's not – feasible it's not feasible to winning games and I think coach Strickland would even tell you that you mentioned that Georgia's bullpen has been inconsistent this year and I agree with that wholeheartedly but have there been any standout performers from that bullpen that might be the saving grace of the team to, to Barry who I will talk about in just a second I do want to bring up Liam Sullivan who had an 11 strikeout no hitter performance against Princeton and I really thought that he was going to take off but he's just been rough since then but we know he's got the talent to be able to put up great performances, but Dalton Radins has been a really good reliever for them. But if we're talking about their best one, it's easily Jaden Woods. Uh, he's a junior from Houston County, which is my hometown, so I've, I've already got a, a nice liking to him with that connection already, but he's easily their best. He's put up two 11 strikeouts, strikeout performances this season alone, one of those against um, an SEC opponent. So he's a really talented player. Not as consistent as you would like, but that's kind of the whole thing around Georgia pitchers. But he's easily their best guy, and there's a reason he's their number one. Um, he's got a nice repertoire of pitches. He's, he, he can put some put some heat on the ball. 
when he's starting a game, you feel better about it. But I still think he has things to work on. He, again, consistency is going to be a problem for this entire pitching group. But he's a really talented player. And if he can shore up a few things going through the season, he will 100% be the guy for Georgia to count on. Georgia's next two opponents in the SEC are Kentucky and Vanderbilt. The teams are a combined 40-8 and eight so far this season. How many wins does Georgia need to pull out over those six games to feel satisfied coming out of those matchups? You know, I'm sure they would be happy to get just one win with the way this season is going, but for a, a legitimate answer, three. Um, because if you can still get one win in one of those series, it's fine, but at least two wins in one, and at least one of those series would be huge for them. Those are two great teams. Those are two really talented teams. And being able to win a series, an SEC series alone, even if it's against a, a bad team later on the line, which they really needed to win this this series against Auburn to really have that momentum going through this season. But if they can win one of those series against either of those two teams, just one, that'll be big for their confidence. And if they can't, I'm worried for this team. I'm worried for how the rest of the season is going to go. And I'm worried for the coaches and stuff like that because – I, I, I don't love talking about job stuff and job security stuff, but you have to you have to worry about that if it's not if, if this season is going to go this poorly where you let up several blown leads in several games, it's concerning and and you, you, you can see it on Twitter, you can see it on whatever fan blog post whatever for baseball, whatever you want to go on. People aren't happy. I'm, I'm sure Josh Brooks isn't happy, athletic director. so, I hope for their sake they can turn it around because they've got a lot of great guys in that coaching staff. And yeah, I, I think that I hope they can turn it around because it's, it's brutal right now. It's a rough start. It certainly has not been the easiest start for the Georgia Bulldogs, but regardless, thanks for coming on the show. Owen. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to between the headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.